Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Football MD Podcast. Today is Wednesday, September 26th, and we had an awesome week three in the books for us. We definitely are getting very excited because now we finally are getting into we're getting into the part of the season where now you have an actual volume of work to go off of when grading players and teams so we can kind of know what to expect. But as usual, guys, remember, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at FootballMDPod. And check out our website at footballmdpodcast.com. To start off some news before we get into the games from this past week, I think it's definitely time we've been staying away from it for quite a while that me and Mike really dive into this uh, Le'Veon Bell situation now. Especially because there's a couple different outcomes that can really occur. So the first outcome is that he returns to the Steelers to play for the Steelers. I don't know how you feel, Mike, but in that situation, I see him returning in Week 10 only to get the exact number of games that he needs and quite frankly I think Tomlin has more pride I don't want to call it pride he has he he knows how to run a football team and how to be a coach and he's not going to play him the first week he gets back if he sits for 10 weeks and Connor has been productive and the team is doing well he's just not going to play him week one in my opinion exactly and the thing is that Le'Veon Bell does not have to play right away when he returns to the Steelers he just has to report to the team and be there for the games on Sunday, essentially. As long as he does that for six games, he'll be eligible for free agency. But Le'Veon Bell and Mike Tomlin, they he has no obligation to start him, to put him into the lineup. Like you said, especially if things are rolling with James Conner and they're doing well, there's a pretty good chance that even after he reports, he's still held out for an additional week or two. Unless these rumors that we've At been least hearing, one week, right? At least one week, you would say? Yeah. At least. At least one week. Because James Conner, let's be real, he's been solid. He's not Le'Veon Bell. It's clear from the game film. from. And I think we're both in agreement that the popular option that's been floating around the NFL right now is the possibility of a trade. And I don't think that's the best outcome for Le'Veon Bell either. The offensive line for the Steelers has been a top five unit for the past couple of years, so he's had that benefit. And to walk right in into a new system and be you know, super productive is hard to believe towards the end of the season that that would just work out in his favor that way. I just don't know. Listen, we do understand that he is Le'Veon Bell and he's a top talent in the NFL, but I just, I don't think that's the best situation for him. I agree. I think a lot of people downplay the importance that an offensive line and a high powered offense has for a running back. And especially if we're going to turn it over towards fantasy for fantasy purposes, being in the Steelers offense alone is extremely beneficial to game script that can allow a running back to take advantage of massive opportunity. But until we get a little bit more information, it's not something that I'm really looking to speculate on too much further. But speaking of someone that's returning a lot sooner than Le'Veon Bell, we have Jameis Winston, quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If you guys have been following the podcast since the preseason, you know that I was super high on Jameis Winston going into this season. Even after the suspension news came out, I expected him to come back and be a top 10 option at the quarterback position. But then, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he comes in, looked great for two games, and then not so great, I guess you can say in week three and I think his performance this past week actually made the situation a little bit murky with Winston coming back we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick throw three interceptions in the first half I think it was so that definitely raises some eyebrows now I think before there was no question that Fitzpatrick was going to keep the job but I think a lot of people have a little bit more concern over that situation now going forward in my opinion you got to roll with Fitzpatrick honestly just for the just for a week or two just because he's been so good but don't get me wrong Jameis will have that job very soon, if not immediately. 
like I said, I think they start Fitzpatrick for another week or two, but we've seen this show with Fitzpatrick before. He comes out, he has a nice little stint, he plays well for a couple of games, and then comes back down to earth, and when he does, Jameis Winston will be there, and he'll be their starting quarterback. Not that I'm the biggest James Winston's fan, but that is the situation that'll occur. I do find it a little comical. Dirk Cutter came out before the game. They asked him if James Winston would be taking that job back. And he, and he said only if Ryan Fitzpatrick did something drastically bad. And how, what does he do? He opens up the game with three interceptions. Definitely just an interesting situation, something to keep your mind on. If you have been relying on Ryan Fitzpatrick in a few of your leagues, as I have, definitely start looking for a second option. I know Baker Mayfield's available on a lot of waiver wires. This is someone that Dan is targeting, and I have priority over him this week. So I'm interested. Guys, let me let you in on this real quick. This is the worst part about this podcast. We love everything about it, but it is making it extremely difficult to be in a league together because we literally can't not tell each other these things. Yeah, everyone knows. Even that, it's, it's not even just us. It's just us, yeah. You can listen to our podcast, you get our information. Yeah, you know who we're targeting each week. So, so if you're playing against us, you could definitely use it against us. And Mike has been using it against me. Yeah, that's what I do. I'm weasel. So let's get started on this week's games. Up first from Thursday night, we had the guy we were just talking about, Baker Mayfield, finally coming into play against the New York Jets. Before we touch on the Browns, though, we will start with the New York Jets, as we always do with the away team. So Jets at Browns, 17-21. You got the Jets falling to 1-2 and two after the loss. Next week, they do play the Jags. Darnold was very shaky this week. Um, but on the bright side, the backfield does look decently good. Powell, 14 carries, 73 yards with a 5.2 yards per carry average. Crowell, 16 carries, 34 yards, and a very mediocre 2.1 yards per carry. But two touchdowns. Two receptions, 17 yards, 8.5 yards per catch. Really kind of tells me that they're probably trying to use him a lot in the red zone, which means he might be a little touchdown dependent. But you're probably not looking at Crowell as your week in and week out, week in and week out starter. He's probably more of like a streamer if you have like an injury or a good matchup in a given week. So not too much to worry about there. It looks like Robbie Anderson, which is breaking my heart, is falling. He's not really doing much in that offense. And Anunua is stepping up as the number one target. And on the defensive side of the ball, they look good. The most points that they let up all season is this 21 points to the Browns. And, you know, like giving up three touchdowns in a game isn't insurmountable. You know, they put up 46 points against the Lions in week one or just about that. So... They're definitely capable of scoring points, and if they continue to do so, 21 points from the defensive side of the ball will keep them in games. Now, how do you go about Robbie Anderson if you have him on your fantasy team as you do moving forward? I personally think he's worth dropping. Sam Darnold, he's not taking shots down the field. He's just doesn't seem like he's going to be that type of quarterback this season. He seems much more comfortable with Quincy Anunua. I personally have Anunua locked in as a wide receiver three for the rest of the season, at wide receiver three at worst, with those targets that he's been getting. Now, I don't know if I would say Robbie Anderson's really worth dropping because I do think he has a... a How about about I put it this way? Robbie Anderson or Tyler Boyd, rest of season? I would definitely take Tyler Boyd. Well, I did mention on the Instagram page that Tyler Boyd is going to be the wide receiver one for them for a little bit. A.J. Green is probably going to miss some time after he left this previous week with an injury, with an apparent leg injury. I don't know the actual details on the injury just yet. And John Ross hasn't stepped up at all. 
Tyler Boyd really has. He's been productive so far this season with A.J. Green there. So he'll be continue to do so, especially if the Bengals continue to score at that rate. Definitely Boyd over Anderson, but Boyd shouldn't be on the waivers either right now. You get what I'm saying? So, like, I'm thinking more of, like, a guy like Paul Richardson. I think he has a little bit more value than that. Because he did, he was, what, wide receiver 14 last year or something like that? Yeah, he finished somewhere around the top 15 last year, so we've definitely seen the upside there. It just doesn't seem like that opportunity is going to be there for him with the way this offense has been looking. One thing I can tell you guys for sure, though, is you're not going to want to start any of these guys next week against the Jags. This is definitely a matchup that I'm completely avoiding from a fantasy perspective. But to move over to the Brown side of the ball, as Dan mentioned, Baker Mayfield has officially taken over that starting job. And I'll give Dan a little bit of credit here. He's been pounding the table for Mayfield since the preseason, saying that the Browns would look much better once he took that starting job over. And they really did. For the short time that we saw him on the field, a little bit more than a half, he looked very impressive. And he really did breathe life into that entire offense. I mean, Carlos Hyde was having a nice day already, 23 carries, 98 yards, two touchdowns, but he definitely gets a bump in my rankings. And Jarvis Landry, I mean, I think this guy is borderline wide receiver one from this point going forward. He caught eight of 15 targets this past week for 103 yards. I mean, we know the type of player that Landry is. He creates a ton of separation and Mayfield is such an accurate quarterback, as we saw on Thursday, and he has an arm on him. He was zinging the ball to these players. That's something that meshes very well with the way that Landry plays, and he's going to be able to take full advantage of the opportunity that he's going to be seeing. Oh, absolutely. And let me just talk about Baker real quick for a second. He has more energy, more motivation. He commands the offense a little bit better, and he has like a little bit more confidence, which makes him a better leader, in my opinion. He's just that that swag, whatever you want to call it. He, he he's having fun out there like he looks like he's smiling like he's not it's not just not all business I, I can't help but not be a bigger Mayfield in my fan in my in my opinion I think it's just great for the sport of football but for the Browns also obviously equally as beneficial unfortunately except for in my opinion the wide receiver core being that the wide receivers core is pretty strong behind Jarvis Landry I do think it's gonna make it a little bit a little bit less difficult to predict who's going to be productive week in and week out. I think Jarvis Landry will always be a consistent target share, just like he was with the Dolphins. That's kind of what he warrants, and they did sign him to a big contract, so more than likely. But for the rest of the wide receivers, Higgins, Callaway, Najoku, who is really going to be the second guy? From week to week, I don't think it's going to be one guy, so it's going to make it difficult to play in fantasy. I will say I definitely agree with you on the wide receivers, Higgins and Callaway, but David Njoku, he's someone that I've actually seen getting dropped in a lot of leagues, and I think he's 100% worth an ad, at least just for the speculation of it, tight end such a volatile position, you can do much worse. Njoku's been playing essentially every snap for the Browns this season, and we saw if you followed Baker Mayfield through his college career at Oklahoma, he targeted the tight end a ton. That's basically where he made most of his production from. So Njoku could be in line for a nice opportunity going forward with Mayfield taking over the, taking over there. Nice little deep dive college stat by my co-host Mike here. But yeah, and then the other note that I have on the Browns is just that their defense con- continues to impress me. Um, in the same boat as the Jets, you know, allowing only 21 points per game, which don't get me wrong. Listen, the Jags are probably averaging, what, 13 points per game or something like that, or maybe less. Like, but you don't have to be the Jags. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to have a more capable offense, then 20 points 20 points a game 
it's not going to win you every week, but it's going to win you some weeks. And then it at least allows you to be competitive because it's not an insurmountable amount of points. You got to be worried if you're the Steelers giving up 35 points a game. That's a problem. Now you have a problem. Now you got to be worried. Speaking of getting worried, I think Bills fans had their worries calmed a little bit by rookie quarterback Josh Allen seeing a nice game from him as the Bills rolled past the Minnesota Vikings, winning by a score of 27 to 6. This game. I honestly can't tell you guys what happened. It was the biggest upset in 23 years, according to the spread. They had a 17 and a half point spread, I think it was. So this was the biggest upset in 23 years. And I think what really happened, my takeaway from this game, Coach Sean McDermott, he took over defensive play calling in the second half of last week's game. And in my opinion, the Bills defense is what really won them this game. I think the Vikings came in, they underestimated the Buffalo Bills. The Bills were able to get on the board early. The defense made some big plays and momentum just swung in the other direction against Kirk Cousins. And we've seen Cousins in the past during his time with Washington. We've seen him struggle when momentum was shifted towards the other direction. And, you know, it was completely evident in this past week's game. They were down 27 points and he was still throwing check down passes and I will give him a little bit of credit here I don't want to beat up on Kirk Cousins I think he's a great quarterback that offensive line was not giving him much help at all but I really do think this was just a classic game where one team completely underestimated the other and things got off to a hot start early and you know it's tough to turn around momentum when you're a bunch of professional athletes out there on the field. In my opinion this is really something that i love the NFL for and any given Sunday exactly and it's a little cliche but the reason why it's so true in this sport is because the talent disparity between teams is so small there's no buying a championship in the NFL there's no buying success it is truly a team sport and every team does have a lot of talent so things like this is possible if you underestimate them like you said if the Vikings underestimated the Bills and not to mention, Josh Allen played as a man possessed. He was all over the field, hurtling, diving for touchdowns, throwing the ball over the place. He looked like what the Bills drafted him to be. I think the Bills want him to be a Cam Newton type player. He's just a big quarterback that is insanely athletic for some reason. And we definitely saw that hurtling players on Sunday. Yeah. Anthony Barr had nothing to do with him. I don't know if you've seen, not only did Anthony Barr get hurtled by him, but he got stiff-armed <laughs> stiff through the earth by him. So uh, Anthony Barr wanted no business with uh, Josh Allen. But yeah, let me just wrap up by saying I'm not concerned by the, about the Vikings at all. Not at Don't all. get me wrong. It just I just think, like you said, they probably were sleeping on the Bills being that they weren't looking that great this year. And you know the, everybody knows what we're saying in the media as the Bills are struggling this year. But I think, like I said, it's just proof that every team can win in the NFL. The talent is there. The talent disparity is not huge in the NFL. It's not college football. It's not these other professional sports. Like, it's, it's going to be very competitive no matter what. So not too worried, like I said, about the Vikings. The only thing I will say is they cannot bring this kind of effort into L.A. against the Rams on Thursday night this week. If they don't bring their A game, they're going to to fall a little short. That being said, we'll move right on to the Giants at, at Texans. Score of 27-22. to 22, Giants get their first win. And my notes on the game for the Giants. Wait, I just want to say, we just noted that the Giants got their first win. We completely, I think, blew by the Browns getting their first win. 
they were able to bust open that cooler. Everyone in Cleveland got a beer. It was a great moment. <laughs> we completely just blew by it. We were just so hooked up on Baker Mayfield that yeah. we forgot to mention, like, they won. <laughs> yeah, my man crush on Baker Mayfield made me forget about all of Cleveland. Congratulations, Cleveland. Cheers to you guys. Back to the Giants, though. Eli had a strong outing, 25 of 29. That's as accurate as you're going to get from Eli Manning. 297 yards, two touchdowns. And my three players that I want to talk about, Ogletree on the defensive side of the ball, has been lights out for the Giants. That's a great move by them. Really happy to see them get a defensive linebacker in there because it's been a while since they had a good one. Then OBJ has another strong outing. You know, obviously we know about OBJ. But Barkley, guys. Barkley, I watch him run the ball, and they might have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, the Giants. But Barkley is as good, if not better, than just any running back in the NFL. He has a skill set. He can do everything you want him to do. He can catch. He can run. He can make plays. He creates on his own. That 60-yard touchdown that people said was a fluke to in, that inflated his week one stats, if you watched, he got hit twice in the backfield. That's not luck. That's not an inflation. That's the type of plays this guy offers you because of the skill set that he has. And like I said, if he had a better offensive line, you could be looking at the number one running back in the NFL. That being said, I don't see that occurring behind that offensive line. No, but it was nice to see Eli have a great game. As you mentioned, he finally was able to put it together. That offensive line, though, still worries me. He did get sacked four times, but it was nice to see Eli have a productive day against that Houston pass rush. One thing that I think we do have to touch on is the knee injury sustained by tight end Evan Ingram. I'm not 100% certain on the details of this injury just yet, but reports are saying that he is week to week. So should he be forced to miss some time? I think that Sterling Shepard should definitely see an uptick over the middle of the field. He had seven targets for six receptions, 81 yards, and a touchdown this past week. So he could definitely be a nice plug-and-play guy at the wide receiver position should Evan Ingram have to miss any time. But moving over to the other side of the ball, we have the Houston Texans, who have honestly looked less than stellar, I guess you could say. In 2018, my bright spot for this team is Will Fuller. He now has nine touchdowns in his last six games playing with Deshaun Watson. And he's a guy that I was a little down on after last season. I thought his touchdowns were anomalous. He wasn't getting very many targets. But that's not really the case this year. I mean, just on Sunday, he had 11 targets. I think Will Fuller is definitely here to stay. He's a borderline solid wide receiver, too, going forward. And I know I shouted out the Nick and the Dick podcast and their uh, trade shame league last week, but I just snagged up Will Fuller this week. So this is another guy. Last week it was James Conner, Will Fuller. I think you can lock him into your lineups every week from now on. Yeah, he is a really uh, lone bright spot on that team. And as you paid me a little respect on the Baker Mayfield call, let me say that my co-host here, Mike Bowling, he uh, called out that Deshaun Watson was in for significant regression this season, and it it seems to look the part. Now, don't get me wrong. He's been good, but he hasn't been as stellar or as great as he was in that stretch last season. Even from the eye test, he, his decision-making, his accuracy on his throws, he's still putting up good numbers. He's still slinging the ball around. He's still running the ball. So if you just look at the box score, if you just have him on your fantasy team, you're getting a little bit of a disoriented picture of how he's actually been playing. And it hasn't looked great. He's not a bad quarterback, but nothing close to what we saw last year and where a lot of people were projecting him to be in 2018. Absolutely, and the last couple of notes is that J.J. Watt um, finally shows up, but the defense still looks very underwhelming, which is unfortunate. And then you really have to have to start talking about 
are we going to wrap up the Texan season already? Now, I know that sounds a little bit drastic, but let me paint you a little picture. The Jags are probably the best team in the division, and they still have to play them twice. They're 0-3. They have yet to get a win. And they have the, the Colts, another divisional opponent, next week in, Indi in Indianapolis. If they fall to 0-4 with a divisional loss, and they still have to probably get swept by the Jags for two games, how do you possibly see them making the playoffs? Oh, they, they just don't. <laughs> Period. I think with the way that that division has looked so far this season, I'd be surprised if two teams were able to make the playoffs from the AFC South. And we know the Jags are going to be in contention, if not locked in, for a playoff berth. So the Texans are definitely in rough shape. I don't see things getting much better. And one other little fantasy tidbit that I will add in here, I think Lamar Miller legitimately might lose his job. We have Foreman coming back after week six. Alfred Blue hasn't necessarily looked bad. And I think they might start moving towards a bit of a timeshare. Miller has just been super inefficient. I know this week didn't he didn't completely bust for your fantasy team, but he scored a touchdown. Without that touchdown, we're talking about a completely different conversation with Lamar Miller. I think now is the time. If you have him on your team, trade him. See what kind of value you can get for him. If you can get value back based off of how he's looked so far, take that value right away. Get rid of him. Agreed. So moving on to... Our next game, which was the Packers at the Redskins, where the Packers surprisingly fell to the Redskins, 17-31. I don't mean that in any disrespectful way. I just, when Aaron Rodgers is on the field, I kind of expect a W, you know what I'm saying? And at least it to be a more competitive game, and it really wasn't. The Redskins kind of dominated the entire game. On the bright side for the Packers, though, Aaron Jones' return was significant and look I mean it wasn't huge it wasn't a lot of opportunity but in my opinion when you watch him he is the best running back in the backfield and he'll probably take that spot from Jamal Williams in the coming weeks a guy that I think is really honestly coming on is Geronimo Allison he's been a uh, very, very good, and he seems very comfortable with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I love Allison. It looks like he is taking over that wide receiver two role. He's flat out looked better than Randall Cobb. He's currently on pace for 69 receptions, 1,115 yards, and 11 touchdowns. Now, I'm not projecting him for those numbers rest of season, but that's just to show you how good he's been. And if you saw our post on Instagram today, he's one of our top waiver wire pickups going into week four. So if he is available, definitely add him. And moving over to the Packers running game, I agree with what you said. Aaron Jones just looks like the best running back on that team. And Jamal Williams has not done anything to keep that job. He had five carries for 29 yards this past week. And the only thing that's keeping him on the field, in my opinion, is that pass protection that he provides. He is a great pass blocker, but that's not going to last. Talent does rise to the top in the NFL, and even though Jones didn't look amazing this week, he just looks much more explosive, and he provides a different aspect than what that offense has been getting from Williams and Montgomery. So if Jones is on your team or if he is on your waiver wire, I think he's a mustache. Hold on to him. See what happens. I think he's primed to take that job in the coming weeks. And before we move over to the Redskin and before I move over to the Redskins side of the ball, I will just say one concern that I have is Aaron Rodgers, he definitely did look hampered by his knee injury. It didn't look like it was completely destroying his game, obviously. I still think he's the number one quarterback in the NFL. If he's on your team, you're not benching him, so don't worry about that. But their right tackle, Brian Beluga, left the game with a back injury. He might have to miss some time. That's going to cause some problems for Aaron Rodgers. But moving over to the Redskins side of the ball, a big day for Adrian Peterson as no one projected. This seemed like a game that was primed for Chris Thompson to be super involved. But AP had 19 touches, 120 yards, and two touchdowns this past week. 
And I think this is the type of player that we're going to see Peterson be all season. As long as he's healthy, as long as he's getting the volume, he's going to be productive. Yeah, the Redskins have a really good offensive line. Yes, in week one, we saw him get 28 touches. He was super productive. In week two, he hardly did anything against the Colts' defense. He only had 14 touches. Now, as I mentioned this week, 19 touches. He was a bit rested up from not having a huge workload last week, and he had another big game. Now he's going into a bye week, so he's going to be well-rested, and the Redskins are going to be playing the Saints in week five. He's going to be refreshed. He should get carries. I think he'll have a nice day. I know I said last week, that that was the time to sell AP high. But if you didn't do that, you still have him on your team. Hold on to him after week five. I'm projecting him to have a nice game. And I think that's when you'll be able to get the max value for him. But moving over to Chris Thompson, I honestly, like I said, I thought he would be more involved. It seems like a lot of the targets that he was getting throughout the first two weeks of the season started going to Jamison Crowder, who was playing through a groin injury for the first few weeks of the season. And I think Crowder is the wide receiver that best fits Alex Smith's skill set, much better than Josh Doxson or Paul Richardson, in my opinion. But moving forward, it's really just tough for me to trust any of these pass catchers, whether it's Thompson, Reed, Vernon Davis, they have three capable pass catchers, AP in the run game. I mean, I don't know how you can really predict which one of these guys is going to get the majority of targets going forward. Now, on the other side of the competitive scale, unfortunately, with the loss of Jimmy Garoppolo, this past week, the 49ers lose to the Red Hot Chiefs 27-38 when Garoppolo seemed to have them battling back into the game he obviously sustained that injury. The torn ACL seems to be out for the season now. And from there on, they just didn't look that competitive. And honestly, unfortunately, I think the whole offense does get a little bit of a downgrade, especially obviously anybody in the receiving core. And the passer that they bring in is not going to be that great. And if they stick with Beathard, definitely not going to be equally equal to Jimmy GQ. So, yeah, if you want to trust the run, run game, but like I said, I think the whole offense as a whole is going to take a hit. 100%. I think C.J. Beathard behind center is going to be extremely detrimental to all of the pass catchers. Just looking at last season, Marquise Goodwin, while playing with Jimmy Garoppolo, was on pace for 77 receptions and 1,300 yards. Without Jimmy Garoppolo, he was on pace for about 50 receptions and 800 yards. So we know the type of upside that he brings to that offense. And really, the only player... I still trust Breda. I think starting running backs come so few and far between that... You have to keep rostering him, and if you are relying on him, you have to keep doing so. He's going to continue to be involved. He's been solid thus far, so no reason to not think that he'll continue that. But as far as the main pass catchers go, I think George Kittle is the only guy that I still have confidence in. I mean, he's just been getting the targets week in and week out. And despite having a nice week in week three, he actually had a touchdown called back due to offensive pass interference. So Kittle was a guy that we were pretty high on in the offseason. I think he's going to continue to do so regardless of who's behind center. And I will say the one bright side for this team is their offensive line. It has looked good. And for fantasy purposes, we know that they're going to be throwing the ball a lot regardless of who's behind center they're going to be throwing the ball so I'm not completely out on the options on this team I just think if you've been relying on them in your starting lineup each week it's time to definitely reconsider try and move some guys Marquise Goen had a touchdown this past week so if you could move him I would definitely recommend doing that as well and on the other side of the ball the Chiefs I mean what is there to say really about the Chiefs Red hot, 3-0 and start, I mean, which is kind of to be expected with an Andy Reid team. He's typically very good in the beginning of the season. But still, you can't say enough. Everybody is performing. 
Mahomes is really commanding that offense. So the two things that I'll really talk about, I won't go into that because we've been going into it every week and it'll continue. Honestly, in my opinion, I don't see it slowing down. And keep an eye next week on the Chiefs' divisional matchup at the Denver Broncos. A big a big uh, game for them, obviously, being a divisional game, so keep an eye on that next week. Yeah, it's going to be a huge game for Patrick Mahomes. I know he's been great through the first three weeks, but I really don't think the box score and the stats that he's been putting up paint the whole picture. He has made some great throws, there's no denying that, and he looks like he could be one of the top quarterbacks in the league this year. But he's also missed a lot of easy throws, too. I noticed that he was overthrowing some guys that were wide open and I know that he's young he's going to make some mistakes but we saw this exact same thing with Deshaun Watson last year so I think we have to expect some regression to be coming in the Chiefs passing attack unless you do think that Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks of all time or he will break the all-time touchdown record this year and of course these seasons do happen so maybe that's what we're seeing here I'm just not willing to buy into it after three games but as far as the other players on the Chiefs go, as Dan mentioned, Kareem Hunt, he had two touchdowns this week, which is definitely nice to see. I have no worries about him going forward. Travis Kelsey, he's still a stud. A uh, bit of a down week for Tyree Kill. He had just two receptions for 51 yards. We know that even though he's looked solid so far, that's kind of the type of player that he is. If those huge plays don't come for him, he's going to disappoint a little bit. But that's with every player. Everyone has down weeks, so I'm not buying into that too much. And Sammy Watkins, I mean, he has 20 targets and three rushing attempts through the first three weeks of the season. And this is a guy that I was kind of high on in the preseason. And I have him right in that wide receiver three range going forward. As we saw this past weekend, Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill, neither of them got a touchdown reception this past week. Kareem Hunt wasn't involved in the passing game at all. I think he had just one target, but 11 players got targets this week, including Chris Conley, Demetrius Harris, who's the backup tight end to Travis Kelsey, Damian Williams, and Spencer Ware. They all got two or more targets this week. So that ball is just being spread around all over the offense. So unless you're one of the core pieces like Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt, it's really tough for me to want to put too much trust in a player like Sammy Watkins, even though I do think he's 100% serviceable and he's great to have on your roster. He's not someone that I would want to trust week in and week out. Well, I'm going to disagree with you there a little bit because to me, when I looked at the stats from this week, Kelsey, eight receptions, Watkins, five receptions. If you if you total those up, that's 13 receptions. Between the entire rest of the team, there was only 11 other receptions. So if you ask me, these are the guys that are getting the majority of the looks. Now, like you said, with Tariq Hill, he's always been that guy. He doesn't always get as many opportunities as you might like. And he is kind of like a big play wide receiver. But like for the guys who are going to be a little bit more involved, and like I said, I'm just tracking this from this past week. You obviously need to look a little bit more into the larger trends of the entire season. But this week, like I said, I think Kelsey and Watkins were clearly the top targets. When you have 11 different uh, targets... Like you said, they each get one or two targets, but nobody really garners a significant amount of targets. These are the guys who are garnering the significant amount of targets that are worth the start every week. Now, moving on to our next game, we have the Raiders who went into Miami and lost 28-20. This was a big game for Tannehill. He's honestly looked solid throughout the early portion of the season that we've seen so far. And this is a team that really, they just keep pulling it out. I mean, Kenyon Drake, he was a little disappointing. We've now seen his carry counts decline over the first three weeks of the season. He had 14 carries in week one, 11 carries in week two, five carries in week three. And next week, he goes into New England and then into Cincinnati. Dolphins don't seem like they're 
willing to utilize him as a true lead back, despite his talent clearly being there. I think he's the most talented player on that team. But the Dolphins overall, they just really put together a nice game here and were able to go and strip the Raiders of another win. Well, in this game, the thing that worries me about the Dolphins and kind of the whole season is they seem to be relying on big plays a lot. So is that really sustainable is my question. Now, with the 3-0 start, obviously it looks good. But like I said, is it really going to be sustainable? But undoubtedly, I think you can say that they're better than expected. But we also talked about this before the season about how with Ryan Tannenhill at the helm, they are a completely different team. You had to throw out last season with Jay Cutler because it was not doing what that team was built for justice. And now, addition by subtraction, get rid of Jarvis Landry and the Damakung Su, the big egos. And now you have a quality football team on your hands. On the other side of the ball with the Raiders, I just want to say they might be the best 0-3 team that we have in the NFL. See, now I know you believe in Derek Carr. And I know that's probably. But they've a... been in every game, dude. They have won... They've been in every game down the down when it came down to the end. I just think Derek Carr and Amari Cooper, for that matter. I think they're both just so inconsistent. They're such difficult players to predict, and it's not some. Well, John Gruden, just so you know, he did say that he thinks sometimes Derek Carr is trying a little too hard. I don't know how that works for your quarterback. I think you want maximum effort from your NFL football player. Ideally, but. yeah. <laughs> um, no, but like, really, I don't know what this offense is doing. It's just, just a, it's a hard team for me to predict week yeah. in and week out. I mean, I thought this would be a great game for Amari Cooper. I know the Dolphins have Xavier and Howard. I didn't expect him to shadow Cooper in this game, and Cooper only saw five targets. I still believe in his talent. This is nothing against Cooper's talent. It's just I don't really believe in the coaching or. Derek Carr, I guess. I know you're a little bit higher on Carr than I am, but to me, that offense is just tough to really get behind. No, I I see what you mean. It's very inconsistent, and the defense is pretty bad. Without Khalil Mack, it's, they, they can't create plays. They can't create turnovers. They can't stop anybody on a consistent basis. And I think, honestly, some growing pains with Gruden, who I think is an excellent coach, but the game is always changing, and he is going to have to adapt to the type of game that it it is today. Now the big question from the Oakland Raiders, Jordy Nelson. How do you feel about him going forward? Is he startable? Is he a must own? Is he a must start? How I mean, he's got to be on guy? a roster. He can't be on the waiver wire. But at the same time, I don't know if you're going to get that week in and week out from him. I'm not willing to say that he's going to be like the number one target for the Raiders now. That's not how I feel about it. He had a good week, and you know, like we know the type of player Jordy Nelson is, so it's not a shock. But no, I don't think he's now all of a sudden the guy that you're going to set it and forget it type guy, you know? I think in the right matchup, if you need a spot star, Jordy Nelson can be that guy for you. He's a nice guy to have on your bench in the worst case scenario. But as I was saying before, I can't trust Amari Cooper. So how can I trust Jordy Nelson? You know, I've, I like Amari Cooper. as I love Amari Cooper as a player. So if I can't confidently put him into my lineup every week, I'm obviously going to have the same feeling for Jordy Nelson there. Next game, we got your boys, Colts at Eagles. What, what? Falling a little bit short, 16-20. to 20. And in my opinion, the Colts have looked pretty good this year. Now, don't get me wrong. Luck has been a little shaky, but that's to be expected. He's been out of football for almost two full years. And I got to bring it up. It did worry me a little bit that they would pull him for a Hail Mary attempt. That tells me that maybe there's a little... Uh, maybe? Maybe something maybe. going on with that what shoulder. Other, what other starting NFL quarterback do you know that gets pulled to throw a last-second Hail Mary? 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't have the arm strength he used to. That set off every panic button I own. Yeah, I I understand. Like I said, I I made a note about that immediately. But I will say, I thought it was Andrew Luck. First of all, I like I was borderline paying attention to the game at the point where they made the switch. I didn't even know that Brissett came into the game, and I was like, oh, like Andrew Luck just bombed it. Arm strength is still there, and then I realized it was Brissett, and it definitely raises a lot of a lot of red flags about his shoulder. That arm strength clearly is not there, and it's been reflected in his gameplay. On Sunday, he averaged just 4.1 yards per attempt. He's clearly turned into more of a checkdown guy. That whole offense has moved to more of a conservative approach. And it's also reflected in their pass catchers. I mean, T.Y. Hilton, in 2016, when Andrew Luck was healthy, averaged 13.5 yards per target. This season, he's averaging 8.2 yards per target. Now, a couple of really nice bright spots for the Colts I definitely want to talk about. Darius Leonard, the second pick. I mean, obviously, as a second-round pick, you expect him to be a good player in the NFL, but 33 tackles, three sacks. And uh, in Week 2 versus Washington, according to Pro Football Focus, he had grades of 92.6 for the total defense, 90.6 for coverage, 86.8 in run defense, and about an 80 tackle, which is incredible for a veteran stud player to put up these kind of grades and yet this is a rookie performing you know so very impressive and then you just really have to pay attention I talked about it with the Texans the Texans and the Colts play next week the Colts are currently one and two if they go to two and two grab the win at home against the Texans then they still are going to be in a competitive situation for that division on the other side of the ball though the Eagles Finally get Wentz back, and he looked good. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's going to ease back. He's not going to be great his first game back, but he's definitely he definitely is an upgrade from Nick Foles, undoubtedly. Wendell Smallwood looked pretty good in the backfield, but I still am very high on Corey Clement. I'm not willing to shift that loyalty just yet. But I will say the number one thing to keep an eye on with the Wentz return is that with Ertz, five receptions, Godert's seven receptions and Perkins one reception. That is a total of 13 receptions for the tight end position. 12 receptions were had by the rest of the team, including all running backs and wide receivers combined. So that shows you that I don't know whether it's just, like I said, him slowly getting reacquainted to the offense or he's just really enjoys the tight end position like he's been comfortable with Zach Ertz and Trey Burton last year. Now he has Zach Ertz and Goder this year. And I'm just going to try and fire through my analysis of this game here for fantasy purposes. I think Ryan Grant, he's looked pretty good with the limited opportunities that he's gotten. He caught three or four targets for 35 yards and a touchdown this past weekend. Throughout the season, he's caught 86% of his targets. He's actually second in the NFL in reception percentage right now, so... Definitely someone to keep your eye on. I know the production for fantasy purposes hasn't been there, but he has been solid. So I wouldn't be surprised if that gets a little bit of an uptick going forward. And from the Colts again, Naeem Hines in that backfield. I think he's a nice bench stash, especially to use during bye weeks with injuries occurring. And especially in PPR leagues, the Colts cannot run the ball behind that offensive line. Hines led the Indianapolis Colts this past Sunday in snaps, outsnapping other rookie running back Jordan Wilkins 43-17. And he's actually led in snaps over the first two weeks as well. So this is a guy that's getting on the field. As I mentioned in the preseason, looking at snap counts is crucial 
for guys that you want to stash on your bench hoping for a breakout later in the season. And he's really just becoming a primary passing down option, especially with Chester Rogers, who has not been playing well out of the slot. Doyle's banged up. Ebron has not stepped up as a true number one tight end. I think he might end up being in kind of a Gio Bernard scenario that we saw from a few years ago where he was getting just four to six targets per week, which again, that's not something that's going to win you your week, but that puts him in low end running back three, high end running back four consideration when you're getting involved in the passing game in that way. So I think Naeem Hines, although I know I spoke up Jordan Wilkins in the preseason. I think Naeem Hines is definitely someone to keep on your radar at this point in the season. But quickly to blow through the Eagles side of the ball. I thought Carson Wentz looks pretty good for his first game back. I'm definitely not worried about his knee limiting his mobility. He had three rushes, even though it was just for 10 yards. It was nice to see him moving around the field. And that was against the Colts defense that, as Dan said, it looked pretty good. They were getting a lot of pressure on Carson Wentz. And he still was able to perform. Plus, it was pouring rain this entire game. So I'm not willing to put too much into either quarterback or really any of the pass-catching options. I know that that obviously plays a factor. And, of course, Wendell Smallwood disappointed a lot of people. Everyone thought it was going to be Corey Clement this past week. It was Wendell Smallwood. He got the opportunity due to Ajayi being out, Sproles being out. Clement was playing with an injury. And while I do think Smallwood can step up and be effective... He just is not the guy. And it looks like Doug Peterson is going to be running that committee approach to that backfield. So Wendell Smallwood, if he's not on your team already, if you're not in a super deep PPR league, he's not someone worth rostering. Yeah, and then honestly, if the injuries continue for the Eagles, the guy that I would keep an eye on is Josh Adams, a Notre Dame alum, undrafted, rookie, free agent to the Eagles. He's a guy that I just think can shoulder a NFL workload. So just a guy to keep an eye on. But we'll move right on to the Titans at Jags. Pretty non-exciting game. 9-6 was the total score. Not a single touchdown in the game. As for the Titans, going to 2-1, and one, and because the Jags are also at 2-1s and, and they beat the Jags last week, they will be first in the division. So that's a huge divisional win for them. Obviously, it's early in the season, but the offense is very underwhelming. I still do believe in Derrick Henry, and I will not abandon him just yet. But it is obviously apparent that in game flow situations, he's going to fall behind the game script and not get as much usage as Deion Lewis. But the passing game is so bad that there's no wide receiver that you would really desire. Um, they really do need an upgrade at quarterback, in my opinion, and it hurts me to say that because I don't just don't think Marcus Mariota is cutting it as a quarterback in the NFL. In my opinion, he just doesn't scare me. And then on the Jags side of the ball, now I know there's that debate between Yeldon and Grant. Honestly, without Fournette, it's going to be a committee approach, and you can't be assured that either one is going to be the guy week in and week out. So the running game I'd be really concerned about, and honestly, as far as the passing game, everyone talks about DD or Cole. or Honestly, guys, week one for Blake Bortles, 176 yards, one touchdown. Week three, 155 yards. No touchdowns. He had one good week in week two, 376 yards, four touchdowns. That's an anomaly for Blake Bortles. I wouldn't get accustomed to it. Not a passing game I'd really be interested in. This game was just brutal to watch. Honestly, there was not too many takeaways, especially for fantasy purposes, that I had from this game. I know that you touched on the Titans passing game. You said there's not too many options that you would consider starting week in and week out. As you guys know, I'm a big fan of Corey Davis. He only had two catches this week for 34 yards, but that was against Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye. He does have 13 catches for 151 yards over the first three weeks of the season. 
And as Dan mentioned, there's just so many issues at the quarterback position for the Tennessee Titans that it's really tough to trust Corey Davis. I still believe in the talent. I think he's a great player. But I'm not willing to start him until we see him prove it, until we see an uptick in the production from this offense. Overall, I'm not willing to start any piece on this Titans offense until Mariota is even able to actually throw a football. He has some kind of nerve damage going on right now. I don't know the full details of that injury. Yeah, but. he wasn't. He didn't start, and he wasn't supposed to play. They started Gabbert, and then Gabbert ended up getting hurt as well. So that's when Mariota played. So I don't even think they wanted him to play this game, which I get because he didn't look great. Up next, Bengals at Panthers, 21-31. The Panthers grab an at-home win. And for me, I am impressed with the Bengals this year. They've been really good. I think they're playing good football, complimentary football, both on the offense and the defense side of the ball. The real only big worry is the loss of A.J. Green. We don't know how long it's going to be, but I do think Tyler Boyd can step up in the meantime. And on the other side of the ball, the Panthers, Cam Newton continues to dominate. Really, I think the Panthers, we just know what we're getting with the Panthers. They are honestly one of the top teams in the NFL. As long as they have Cam Newton and Luke Keekley on the defensive side of the ball, they will continue to be so. Yeah, as you mentioned, I think Tyler Boyd is one of the top waiver wire ads going forward. Hopefully you guys were able to snag him today. They play the Falcons next week, who lost another safety this past weekend. So he's definitely startable, although I do think he's still a matchup-based guy. But that may be changing. Andy Dalton has been playing fairly well, and he loves to dump the ball off to him when he's under pressure. And he's not really receiving much competition from John Ross, who looks like he's just plain lacking his confidence. So I think that if Green is forced to miss time, Boyd should see some nice opportunity in that offense. Well, Green is on record in an interview for saying that John Ross has been taking plays off. And what he means by that is that Andy Dolan has given him a couple of, you know, 50-50 balls, which may be not John Ross's specialty, but he just kind of watches the defender go up for it. And the defender actually has come down with an interception on one of those balls. And A.J. Green said that that's, the quickest way to get Andy to ignore you because he's got to know that he can trust you to at least fight for that ball so it doesn't turn into an interception. If he's not comfortable going to you when he needs you, why would he go to you when you want him? You know what I'm saying? Like It's got to be a mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, so Boyd definitely seems like the guy that you want on your team there, one of the top waiver wire ads from this week, as I mentioned. And my only takeaway from the other side of the ball, of course, Cam Newton looked great, but Christian McCaffrey, he really looked great in the run game. You normally look at his stat line and you're looking for his receptions and receiving yards. He only had two receptions for 10 yards this past week. Meanwhile, he had 28 rushes for 184 yards. This was his first 100-yard rushing game of his career, and... My only concern is that he didn't score a touchdown on any of those attempts. And that's not to say that he's a bad running back or he can't score touchdowns on rushing attempts. Of course he can. He's one of the better running backs in the league. But that just goes to show you that Cam Newton is their best goal line back. When they get in those goal-to-go situations, Cam Newton is going to bolster those touchdowns. So even though I love to see McCaffrey more involved in the running game, which actually makes me a little nervous. I don't think he has the frame to really put up with 28 carries a week throughout the entire course of the season. I do slightly disagree because I did highlight last week while we were talking about Christian McCaffrey that, you know, he hasn't gotten a lot of opportunity in the run game, but he has been very productive on a yards per carry average, 
which to me is, you know, that's the stat when you look at a running back is their yards per carry average because it's how many time, how many carries does it take them to get a first down? And when you're averaging about five yards per carry, which he has been, you know, that, that that's a first down every other carry. So to me, that's very efficient. And then he finally gets the opportunity, and there you go. You see the 180 yards. So that doesn't surprise me much, and I honestly think he's a lot more durable than people give him credit for. I know he's undersized, but sometimes that works for your advantage. You kind of you have a low center of gravity, and you're hard to take down. I do think McCaffrey's great in the running game, and we saw it this past weekend. The Bengals' run defense was allowing just three yards per carry before this game, and McCaffrey had an awesome day against them, of course. But I am expecting that to normalize. I don't expect to see McCaffrey have that high of a number of carries or that low of a number of targets. I think those numbers are definitely going to normalize over the weeks ahead. But moving on to our next game, we have the Denver Broncos going into Baltimore and losing 27-14 to to the Ravens. My main takeaways from this game from the Broncos side of the ball is that Case Keenum has honestly just been kind of disappointing so far throughout this season. He threw for just 192 yards, no touchdowns, and one interception this past week. Demarius Thomas, he did look good. He caught all five of his passes for 63 yards. But throughout the entire season, he has just 16 receptions for 144 yards. So I've personally moved him down into the wide receiver three range rest of season. I think Sanders is clearly the guy that you want to roster here. This past week, he caught Five of eight targets for 38 yards. He also added a 35-yard rushing touchdown, which is definitely nice to get from a wide receiver. And Royce Freeman, he had a nice day with fellow rookie running back Philip Lindsay getting ejected. He carried the ball 13 times for just 53 yards, but saved his day with a touchdown. So for fantasy purposes, he was definitely serviceable. But I think going forward, Freeman and Lindsay, they're going to continue to just cap each other's upside. Freeman will most likely, as I said last week, need a touchdown to really make him worth starting. I don't see him as more than a flex play going forward. Yeah, Lindsay has really taken that backfield surprisingly by storm. Not that in the long run I think that he'll keep that job, especially if he continues to behave the way he did this week, getting ejected. That's not going to keep you on the field. you got to be able to control yourself. Royce Freeman is looks to be a pro, and he is a good back. So I think, you know, good for them. They do have two capable backs. I think Case Keenum, though, like you said, I think you don't – I think he's been very inconsistent. Obviously, he had a great week one, 329 yards, three tu- three touchdowns, but he also matched that in that same game with three interceptions. And then in the past two games, no touchdowns, two interceptions. So although he has some bright spots and it seems like he is definitely an improvement at the quarterback position as opposed to what they had last year, he still has not been what we had hoped he would be. And then, so really, the Broncos are being led by their defense, and that's okay for them as long as their offense can, you know, get them the W every once in a while. Obviously, like we mentioned for the Chiefs, next week is a big matchup for the Broncos, being that the Chiefs are coming to town. They got to try to get that divisional win. 100%. Now moving on to the Ravens side of the ball, we saw a nice bounce back here for running back Alex Collins. He carried the ball 18 times for 68 yards and a touchdown. And I still love this guy's talent, but it's still frustrating to me that he's not going to get all of the work with Javarius Allen, Buck Allen in that backfield. And I honestly think Allen, he was on our waiver wire post yesterday on Instagram. I think he's going to be a nice start this week against the Steelers. He's not someone that you necessarily want to 
lock into your lineup every week. But we know that Big Ben is going to put up points at home. I don't care what defense he's playing. And if Baltimore falls behind, we know that Allen is going to be involved in the passing game. He's really just a nice plug-and-play guy due to bye weeks and injuries and Although I think the talent of Alex Collins is superior, Buck Allen, the Ravens are utilizing him in the passing game and on the goal line. Those are the two most crucial points of the offense for a running back to be involved in. So I think he's impossible to ignore going forward. And once Kenneth Dixon comes back, I mean, I think this backfield is just going to be a mess. No, absolutely. Jarvis Allen has been very good in his receiving role and honestly pretty good as a ball carrier. But as you say all the time, Talent does rise to the top of the NFL. I do think Alex Collins is slightly more talented than Jarvis Buck Allen. And I don't really have much backing for that. I just simply the eye test. When I watch them play, I think Alex Collins is the better back. But let's be honest, this, this team is undoubtedly being led by its defense right now. And as long as it continues to play well, they will remain competitive. The defense definitely is the focal point of this Ravens team, but I do think that the pass-catching core for Joe Flacco has been pretty productive. This past week, even though he only has 15 catches for 155 yards and one touchdown in the season, we saw Michael Crabtree catch seven receptions for 61 yards. That was a nice day for him, but I think the pass-catcher that you really want on your teams, and this is another guy that's available on a lot of waiver wires. I don't understand why. He's available in just over 50% of ESPN leagues. But John Brown, he caught five of nine targets for 86 yards. It's clear that John Brown is Joe Flacco's favorite target. I said it last week. And although Crabtree is fairly safe and he should be fine, he does not provide the upside that John Brown provides your fantasy team. And the fact that he's sitting on a ton of waiver wires while Michael Crabtree isn't, I think is ridiculous. I think John Brown needs to be added in all leagues, 100%. And we'll move right on to the Saints at Falcons. A tight one where the Saints squeak out an overtime victory over the Falcons, 43-37. And that one hurt a lot because, honestly, I really thought we needed this victory at home. Obviously, I say we because you guys know that I am a huge Atlanta Falcons fan. He's on the team. And, honestly, the injuries are starting to mount up. I'm not really so worried about the safeties. Again, I think the big loss is Deion Jones in the middle of that defense he really does he is the core of that defense he runs the plays he calls the shots so to be missing him is huge and then on the offensive side of the ball for the Atlanta Falcons hello Calvin Ridley he had an amazing game about 150 yards three touchdowns and after his performance last week where he kind of got welcomed he looks like he's going to be taking advantage of these matchups where he gets pinned up against you know a, a cornerback two or some kind of nickel corner or a linebacker or safety because obviously the main attention goes to Julio Jones. Well, Calvin Ridley's just too good to forget about. So right now the Atlanta Falcons offense has a plethora of weapons. Agreed. And overall, this was just a super high scoring, very fantasy friendly week from the Falcons and Saints. You guys don't need me to tell you about the day that Drew Brees had or Matt Ryan had. We know they're good quarterbacks. We know they had amazing weeks. So I'm not going to touch on that too much, even though I would love to talk about Drew Brees' spin move. (laughs) And of course, Alvin Kamara, he did what he does. He's basically a full-time running back and a full-time wide receiver at this point. I think it's going to be a nice addition to this offense when Mark Ingram comes back, be able to add a little bit more on the ground. And the only thing I will say about Michael Thomas, of course, there's another guy. He's a stud. I don't need to talk about him. But he's now caught 38 of 40 targets. This guy is on 
a ridiculous pace. He was my number four wide receiver going into the season, and I honestly may have been too low on him. He is just incredible with the way that Drew Brees has looked and the way that they've been connecting. He broke this past week the most receptions for a wide receiver in the first three weeks of a season. Previous record held by none other than Julio Jones. Pretty remarkable there. And to move back to the Falcons side of the ball, as Dan said, what's up, Calvin Ridley? My big takeaway from his performance this past week is the upside that this provides for Matt Ryan going forward. He was a first-round draft pick for a reason, and I think for fantasy purposes, he should definitely be started in the right matchups. He's looked like such a polished wide receiver up to this point. He has crazy burst after the ridiculous cuts that he's able to make. It's really amazing when you go back and watch the film on this guy. He's going to create separation. He's going to make big plays, and the Falcons should continue to utilize him, and that's going to happen when, you have, when you're lining up across from somebody like Julio Jones. You're going to have that opportunity, and of course, there may be some weeks where he disappears. Julio isn't going to see just six targets every game. Mohamed Sanu is still there. He's a very capable wide receiver. But Ridley opens things up for Julio and vice versa. During this past game against the Saints, we saw that they could not stop Calvin Ridley. They actually moved Marshawn Lattimore over to cover Ridley. And then Julio went off for a huge 50-yard-plus reception. So these two players, they're going to feed off of each other. It's really like they have two wide receiver ones on the same team. It's pretty incredible. It's going to be awesome to watch for the Falcons offense. And going forward, they play the Cincinnati Bengals, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the New York Giants. Three of those games, I can't remember which ones right now, but three of those games are at home. So you can expect big things from this offense for the next few weeks at least. So Calvin Ridley, he's another one of our must-add waiver wire guys this week. And you may be locking him into your lineup going forward. Yeah, and of those next upcoming matchups, none of the defenses really scare you. So like you said, a lot of upside for the offensive side of the ball in the Atlanta Falcons. But talking about those defenses, you know what defense is a little bit disappointing this year? That Saints defense that we thought was going to be stellar has been honestly bottom unit in the NFL, just like the Chargers defense that has really disappointed us, leading us to the next game, the battle for LA, Chargers against the Rams. Chargers fall short 23-35. to As we kind of expected, the Rams have been a prolific team on both the offense and the defensive side of the ball and that continued against the Chargers now it looked a lot more competitive but the right the Rams did win handedly and honestly there's not too much to say the offense runs through Gurley and this week in the passing game it was Robert Woods he had two touchdowns he had the most productive day out of the trio Cup Woods and Cooks Plain and simple, the Rams' offense is on fire. Woods, Cup, and Cooks, as you mentioned, they've all looked good. I do think Cooks is the primary guy that you want to own going forward. I think the talent is there, but they're all usable. I know that I said in the preseason that it's highly unlikely, almost impossible for a team to support three top 30 wide receivers, but I think this Rams' offense might be the team to do it. And my reason for thinking that now, or for changing my thinking, is because Gurley, he is getting used in the passing game a lot, but it's not Alvin Kamara type usage. He's seeing four to six targets per game, and the team has completely neglected the tight end position and essentially all of their second tier wide receivers. So you know the passing game is going through Woods, Cup, and Cooks 
primarily every single week. So if they're going to be throwing the ball 35 times plus per game, there's plenty of opportunity for all three of them to continue to be productive. So I'm super high on this offense going forward. And of course, we don't like to see this, but the Rams defense did get a little banged up this past week. We don't know the severity of Marcus Peters injury or Akib Tlaib. He limped off the field, so we don't really know what their situation is going forward. But that's only going to provide extra opportunity for those offensive weapons going forward to be hyper-involved, or more so than they already have been. On the other side of the ball, though, for the Chargers, you know, they've been good. Uh, I've mostly been impressed with Mike Williams. I think he's really shining in what pretty much is his rookie season. And obviously, we know how good Melvin Gordon is, and now that he's been adapted to the passing game, he really is a stud. He's just as good as any running back in the NFL. Again, the disappointing part of the Chargers season has been that defense. Uh, what looked like a promising top three unit has let up a lot of points week in, and we- week in and week out, and that's not what we're expecting. Now, don't get me wrong, they are missing the typical Joey Bosa production, and they will recover that at some point this season. But as of right now, the production is not there, so the entire defense has not been playing up to expectations. I love Mike Williams. Of course, Melvin Gordon is a stud, but Mike Williams is the main guy that I was watching this past week. He's officially taking over that wide receiver two role from Tyrell Williams. He had two touchdowns this past week. He almost came down with a third in double coverage. It just slipped out of his hands. And despite the struggles on defense, Phillip Rivers and the Chargers offense has looked great. And I think Mike Williams has such a high ceiling. I know we were saying in the preseason that we wouldn't be surprised if he led the team in touchdowns, and here he is after three weeks with three touchdowns. He's not just a big-bodied wide receiver that's able to go up and compete for targets with defenders, but he's actually making impressive athletic plays. He made a crazy contested catch over Marcus Peters, and he's really just looked great so far throughout the season. I think He's looked so good, he's actually capping the upside of Keenan Allen a little bit. And over the next four weeks, they play the San Francisco 49ers, the Oakland Raiders, the Cleveland Browns, and the Tennessee Titans. Three of those games are, again, these are three games I wish I could remember which ones were at home or not, but I really think those are three games that Mike Williams is going to be able to take advantage of, along with that entire Chargers offense. So this is a guy, he's one of our top waiver wire ads for this week. So if you have him on your team, it's definitely time to start considering moving him into your lineup. I don't see too many other options that, especially in deeper leagues, provide a safer fantasy value than he does. Yeah, Mike Williams has really come on. And unlike most wide receivers, you know, you don't really want to count on, you know, the touchdown production that he's offering you. But like, but that's just always been his thing. He's Even at Clemson, he's a big body guy who can come down with balls in traffic so something that I think you can honestly rely on with him going forward. Moving on, we have the Bears at the Cardinals, 16-14. The Bears squeak out a win. And the Bears, Bears have really been impressive. Now, obviously with Khalil Mack and you know Trubisky in his second year, a lot of off- new offensive weapons, there was a lot of promise and a lot of hype um, with Matt Nagy coming to town. But to see it to kind of come to fruition, and now, yeah, you might say 16-14, to 14, they barely beat the Cardinals, whatever. To me, not every game is going to be sexy. Not every game is going to be a pretty win. Sometimes it's going to be ugly. Sometimes you're going to have to scrap it out. Sometimes you're going to have to get those tough, gritty wins. And, you know, they got it this week against the Cardinals. Now, as far as the Bears are concerned, really, in my opinion, the ball is being spread around 
pretty equally. So it's going to be hard week in, week out to have a number, number one guy. I do think Allen Robinson is still the best guy there and your best option as a whole. But realistically, the real guy I want to touch on is Jordan Howard. Again, I said it in the beginning of the season. I think he's a top-tier back, and I think he's proven it. Week in and week out, he might not have the number one stats for a running back every week, but if you watch him play in his opportunity, he passes the eye test. He does really well. He runs in between the tackles. He runs outside the tackles well, and he's just an all-around back, and he's even getting a little bit better as the pass catching in the pass-catching game. So, yeah, I think Jordan Howard is... If you drafted him, you're getting the value that you were looking for with him. Definitely agree there. And I don't have too much to say about the Bears' offense. I really don't think they've looked great. Mitchell Trubisky is throwing a touchdown pass on one of every 40 passes. That's definitely not something that you like to see. But as Dan mentioned, Allen Robinson still looks solid. He saw seven targets this past week. Anthony Miller is now banged up. We don't know what his availability is going to be or what his status is going to be come week four. So Allen Robinson, you're going to keep firing him up if he's in your lineup. And Trey Burton, to me, he is an every week starter. I know he's going to have his up and down weeks, but we've seen the role that he plays in this offense. He's moving all over the field. He's getting targets. And at a position like tight end that's so volatile, I say it week in and week out, when you have someone that is capable of what Trey Burton can do, He's someone you want on your team. He's someone you want into your lineup. You don't want to worry about streaming tight ends when you have that opportunity for you. So definitely keep firing up Allen Robinson. Keep firing up Trey Burton. Of course, me and Dan, we both love Jordan Howard for this season. And on the Cardinals side of the ball, I said I wasn't too high on the Bears offense. I don't even know if I could speak that highly of the Cardinals offense. I think they're completely being mismanaged. I think it's ridiculous that Chase Edmonds is seeing more targets than David Johnson has been. I know Josh Rosen, he's now been named the starter. I think this does bring some hope to the team, but it really doesn't fix all of their issues. The play calling's been so absurd. Again, I can't say this enough. David Johnson getting pulled off the field for Chase Edmonds to come in and catch a few passes is completely ridiculous to me. I couldn't agree more, honestly. Like, I don't know why you would take David Johnson. The entire offense, as it does in LA with Gurley, as it does in. Pittsburgh with Le'Veon Bell previously like it should run through David Johnson and I know you have Larry Legend and you also drafted a a quarterback in the first round that you are now starting but no player on that offense is equal to David Johnson he's just there's just not Larry Fitzgerald not at this point in his career maybe at some point in his career but not right now David Johnson is the best offensive weapon that you have and he's versatile he you could use him in the run game you could use him in the pass game he should be playing almost every single snap, and he should be getting, you know, 30 touches a game. So I agree it's being mismanaged, and that is probably due to the loss of Bruce Arians and bringing in Steve Wilkes, who, if I'm not mistaken, is a defensive-minded coach. So yeah, with that transition from head coach like Bruce Arians, who knows offense, and now going to a defensive-minded head coach, maybe, like you said, it is being a little mismanaged. 100%. And now is the time to sell David Johnson if you ever were going to. He got a touchdown this week. That's great. So you may be able to get some value for him. Definitely look for people that are willing to still buy high on the name value of 
David Johnson and think that he's going to turn things around because I don't see it happening for that offense. One bright spot of this offense, I know you touched on Larry Fitzgerald a little bit earlier. He has not looked great at all this season, but rookie wide receiver Christian Kirk, he's actually top five in reception percentage this season. He's caught 12 of 15 targets, and of course he hasn't set the world on fire. He's not doing anything amazing, but if you are looking for a deeper dive PPR league waiver wire ad, Christian Kirk may be your guy, especially if you have somebody like Marquise Gowin, Doug Baldwin, who's been dealing with injuries, or even Larry Fitzgerald, who's disappointed to this point. And remember, I may be buying into a narrative a little bit too much here, but Josh Rosen and Christian Kirk, they did share an apartment in the offseason. They were living together. They spent a ton of time together. So of course, that doesn't mean everything. It doesn't mean it's going to translate on the field. But there may be some camaraderie there that we haven't seen yet with these two rookie players stepping into roles, being productive. So definitely someone that's worth a stash. Like I said, especially in deeper PPR leagues, Christian Kirk, someone to keep your eye on. That being said, we'll move right on to the Cowboys at Seahawks. The Cowboys fall short, 13-24. Now the Seahawks get off to a big lead in this one, and the Cowboys had to kind of battle back. They were really unable to do so. And I think we're really starting to see that Travis Frederick is a huge loss for them. Dak can't really get comfortable while moving because he's still under a lot of pressure and he really can't get it comfortable inside the pocket. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about David Johnson and I think Ezekiel Elliott is another player who really has his ceiling capped by the current state of his offense. I think Zeke is still getting utilized the way that a player of his caliber should be. So he's still extremely viable. For fantasy purposes, he's had double-digit points in each of the first three weeks, so obviously you're firing him up. Not nearly as much hesitation as I have with David Johnson, but plain and simple, Dak Prescott has to be better. And I know that's tough when your wide receiver depth chart is led by Cole Beasley, but that offense simply is just not providing enough scoring opportunities to keep any of these players relevant for fantasy or to keep the team competitive in the NFL. And moving over to the other side of the ball, we have the Seattle Seahawks, where I really expected to see a lot more of Rashad Penny in this game. And I thought that the game script was really on Seattle's side, but Penny only got three rushing attempts, whereas Chris Carson saw 32. I had to go back and look at that after I made that note because I couldn't believe that Chris Carson saw 32 carries. But in my opinion, I'm definitely upgrading Chris Carson after this performance. I know it was just one week he hasn't looked great previously, but this seems like the guy that they want to roll with. And I've even seen Chris Carson dropped in a couple of leagues. So if that happens, he should 100% be rostered. Make sure, I know you guys are thinking, oh, not in my league, no one would drop Chris Carson. Just go check. If he's available, he's 100% worth the ad and someone that will be valuable on your fantasy team going forward. In my opinion, absolutely, I agree that he should be rostered. I am not sold on him just because of this week by any means. Honestly, I you, still like the talent of Penny. Don't get me yeah, wrong. And if you watch the game, yeah, I get it. You know, you he got the carries this week that the opportunity, which is always a plus in football. You know what I'm saying? Like obviously, like that's why I said you should. Oh, he should obviously be rostered. You know what I'm saying? Thirty carries a game, like any thirty touch player should be starting in fantasy football. The opportunity is just too large. But that being said, when I watch him. I'm very underwhelmed. He's not explosive. He's not really running away with the job. He's very mediocre, in my opinion. So, yeah, not too crazy about that. And then, you know, the Seahawks are, I think, a little bit better than 
everybody was expecting this year, being real competitive in games. And I really think that has to do with Russell Wilson. When you well, have their that, defense alone has actually really impressed me compared yeah. to where I thought they were going to be. No, absolutely. And big plays and big games by Griffin and Earl Thomas obviously is really helping them out. But realistically, it comes down to Russell Wilson, in my opinion. And he's just going to keep making plays. He made pl- plays early in the game against the Cowboys. And that's kind of what set them up with the lead. Tyler Lockett had a big touchdown. The one decent streamer pick available on the Seahawks offense would be Disley. Oh, is that God. how you say his name? Disley? I oh, know you're not I'm not too, buying into this. I know you're not all. too crazy about it, but here's what I here's how I feel. Knowing the game of football, at, when a quarterback scrambles, he looks to the, for the closest target, which is typically the tight end position. Russell Wilson has been known to use the tight end position. He loved having Jimmy Graham and Will Disley in week 1 and week 2 did have a touchdown in the first two weeks. He did, did not get one in the third, but he's not going to get a touchdown every week. He's not going to have 16 touchdowns on the season. But obviously that means he's going to be touchdown reliant, something we talked about you can't really depend on week in and week out. But as for a streaming option, you could do worse. Yeah, well, this is just someone I'm not buying into. We finally saw him come back down to earth this past week. But again, as I feel like I repeat constantly on this podcast, Tight end is such a volatile position that if you want to take the chance on Will Disley while he's starting before Ed Dixon comes back and you think he has an opportunity to get a touchdown or have a high yardage game, I really can't even argue with you. Unless you have one of those top three tight ends, you're basically rolling anyone out there and hoping for the best. And you alluded to Tyler Lockett earlier. I think he is a pretty solid player. I have him kind of in the same light as Ted Ginn, who we kind of slid past before we didn't really mention him in the Saints game but I think both of these guys are definitely worth being rostered they're a little more boom or bust the only downside to Lockett is that they are expecting Baldwin to be back as early as this week so we'll see what his involvement is going forward but definitely uh Tyler Lockett and Ted Ginn, two guys to keep on your fantasy radar going forward and moving on before we wrap up this episode we just have Two more games left. Those will be our primetime games on Sunday Night Football. That's where, we're, that's where we'll start. That's the Patriots at the Lions. Matt Patricia gets his first victory, 26-10. to And Patricia gets to beat his mentor, his, Bill... His Obi-Wan, if you will. His mentor, Bill Belichick, um, in his first victory at home, the first time he played against New England. So a lot to be excited for Patricia this week. But little warning label, I hope it doesn't go to his head because, yes, they did beat the New England Patriots this week, but the Patriots have no, been known to come out slow. They really do have their focus set on the longevity of the season, not just what transpires in week one. So I wouldn't be at all worried at the New England Patriots. But for the Lions, absolutely, it's a good, solid win, something to build off of. Their first win of the season. We talked about how good Carryon Johnson looked. I've been pounding the table for On Johnson since the beginning of the season. I think he's a talented back in a good situation, good offensive line, high-powered offensive weapons, so you're not going to get a stacked box. And we got more production from the defensive side of the ball for the Lions, letting up only 10 points. Whether it was a bad game for New England or an up game for Detroit, doesn't really matter. That's the type of outing that's, that's going to leave Detroit more competitive and in more games. That's what they're looking for. That's the type of production they need if they want to be a competitor going forward in a tough-ass division. Yeah, and it's definitely that time of year to hit the annual panic button on the New England Patriots. We do this every single year. They always finish strong. 
as Dan said, they're going to peak at the right time. They're going to turn things around. It's just what they do every year. I'm not worried about their offense. And I will say some takeaways from their offense. Rex Burkhead, he suffered a neck injury. He played just five snaps in the first half, just two snaps in the second half. And for fantasy purposes, you're probably going to want to hold on to him if he's on your team. But he just does not seem like he can stay healthy. And you really can't trust him in your lineup right now. On the other hand, Sony Michel, he got the opportunity. And although he didn't look great, he's still getting his feet under him. He's been limited in practice. He had very limited opportunity in week two, a little bit more work this past week. And I think going home to New England to play the Dolphins in week four, he might be in line for some nice opportunity this coming week. So definitely someone to keep your eye on. Not someone I'm willing to lock into my lineup just yet, but definitely someone I'm very interested in. I think Josh Gordon entering that lineup, he's going to be able to stretch defenses. Edelman coming back is going to open things up even more. I think there's a lot of opportunity to be had going forward in this Patriots offense. Moving on to our Monday night football contest between the Steelers and the Buccaneers. The Steelers finally get a solid victory this week where it looked like an all-around performance. They came out with a couple of turnovers in the game from the defensive side of the ball, and we know that they don't have great defensive playmakers, so that's kind of how a defense in that situation plays complementary football. They're not going to be the type of defense to hold you to 10 to 15 points per game. So realistically, the best thing that that defense can do is give their offense more opportunity, give their offense more touches, and how do you do that? By creating turnovers. So those those two or three early interceptions really paved the way for the Pittsburgh Steelers to get out to a significant lead, and when they were able to do so, they were able to lock down that win. Now, although Fitzpatrick battled back and looked like he was going to eventually, you know, make a comeback, the Steelers held on, and they were able to do to, do so by a couple big runs by Connor. If you watch the game. You know, just solidifying runs where on a first and 10, when the clock is in a position where if it gets stopped, it's in the favor of the Bucks making a comeback. But if you keep it rolling, the Steelers hold on. And multiple times, Connor's converting those first downs on big runs and keeping the clock moving. He's an aware back who stays inbounds when you need him to to keep that clock running. So the, the Steelers offense seeming to get back on track a little bit, including Antonio Brown. That's what we want to see out of the Steelers. The Steelers offense has honestly looked great so far this season, in my opinion. Big Ben, a lot of people may not notice this. Everyone's so caught up in Patrick Mahomes. But Ben Roethlisberger has now outscored Mahomes over the last two weeks of the season. He's been as solid as possible for fantasy purposes. And Juju Smith-Schuster continues to blow people away. He's like a cheat code playing out of the slot. He caught 9 of 11 targets this past week for 116 yards. He's a legitimate weapon. I know myself included, a lot of people were calling for a regression from Schuster, saying that he was incredibly efficient last season. And it seems like that's going to continue in 2018. My only other takeaway, of course, James Conner, he didn't look very productive in the early part of this past week's game, but he pulled it together at the end. He put together some nice plays, and he's a capable running back. No surprise there. We've seen it so far. But Vance McDonald, he's definitely interesting to me. He had a huge game this past week, and that's honestly the guy that I had projected to be the primary tight end for the Steelers in 2018. Of course, as with Every tight end in the league just about, unless you're Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, or Rob Gronkowski, you're going to have your up and down weeks. But I think Vance McDonald is definitely worth a speculative ad or at least someone to keep your eye on. I think he has the talent to be a very productive 
tight end in that high-powered offense. Speaking about tight ends, we'll transition over to the Bucks out of the ball. And O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard looks very good. He looks to have a rapport with Fitzpatrick. Don't know how long Fitzpatrick is going to last. But regardless, O.J. Howard is just an athletic tight end that seems to be the type of tight end that is prototypical in the NFL for those elite scoring, pretty much big play tight ends. And he fits that role. And if they can start getting him the usage that an elite tight end gets, there's no reason why I think with his athletic skill set, he can't be that type of player. Yeah, Howard was drafted to be that type of player. And throughout this season, he's been out snapping Cameron Brake 65 to 30. And tight end is, as I said, it's just a tough position to project week in and week out. But outside of the top three, there's really no one that provides you with the upside that OJ Howard does. I honestly have him as a top six tight end rest of season. And that doesn't mean that you have to be incredible to be a top six tight end. You can be a top six tight end and still have your down weeks. I just think that upside that he provides you where he can go for a huge 50-yard touchdown or he can be a weapon in the end zone and you know that he's always on the field due to his pass blocking ability. He's really just a great option for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that has been a solid offense till this point and even if Jameis Winston does take that job over he's historically targeted the tight end way more often than Ryan Fitzpatrick has so even though he may have some camaraderie built in with Cameron Brate we've seen the talent that OJ Howard has so I don't see him going away this season and this is another guy I've seen him on a lot of waiver wires he's mainly owned in most leagues but if you're playing the streamer tight end game and you see OJ Howard dropped he's a must add in my opinion. And then for the Bucs, the other question for me and the last thing that I'll say about the Bucs is it really is surprising me that Rojo is not being suited up. Just because, not because, you know, I get it. You're very underwhelmed by Rojo, whatever it might be. But you did take him in the second round and your other running backs are not being super productive. Why not give him a chance? Like there's got to be something going on to like really like him healthy and he doesn't even suit up and you drafted him in the second round like there's got to be something else there he might have cursed off Dirk Cutter something because somebody does not like him something's going on there the fact that he can't even get a single snap he can't even get a, a suit up and he was a second round pick I, I just don't get it it is definitely a weird situation going on over there and just to finalize the Buccaneers offense I think for their pass catchers I mean, if I'm Mike Evans right now, I don't know if I want Jameis Winston to take over that starting job. Things are going pretty well. Deshaun Jackson, he's second in the NFL right now in reception percentage. This whole offense is firing on all cylinders, all of the pass-catching weapons with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know that we've seen this before from him, and he usually does come back down to earth. But why would you not ride that hot hand? I think for the time being, Mike Evans, you weren't benching him anyway. But Deshaun Jackson is 100% startable. Chris Godwin is another guy. He was on our waiver wire at post for today. Definitely worth the ad. And we'll see what happens going forward. But for right now, I think both of us were on the same boat. We're riding the hot hand with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he keeps that starting job. And I think it's smart for the Buccaneers to do so until he really gives them reason to think otherwise. And that is all, guys, that we have for this week. Thanks for joining us. Once again, Mike and I always appreciate the support. I will say, as always, remember to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at FootballMDPod. Check out our website, footballmdpodcast.com, for all your NFL 
and more information on gambling and college football needs. We're going to be trying to add to our site each and every week, so remember to go check that out, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for listening, and as always, remember on any platform that you're listening on, we are so appreciative of all of the reviews that you guys leave. It takes two minutes less to leave a quick five-star review or leave any comments let us know where we can improve certain things you would like us to cover we're always trying to improve the podcast and your input means the world to us so for everyone that's been giving feedback we appreciate it so much and we would love to hear more of that from you guys so definitely keep that coming in and of course thank you guys for sticking with us until this point so good luck in week four and we'll see you guys next wednesday